in a home with um, other believers, maybe 5, 10, 12 people, and you share and everybody has something to contribute, you worship, you pray, you talk about each other's needs. It's not just one person sharing and teaching. Everybody contributes. It's a bit like a, a bring and share dinner where everybody comes with something to share. 1 Corinthians 14 says, So then, my brothers, when you come together, everyone has a word, a prophecy, a tongue, a song, an interpretation. All of these must be done for the edification of the group. So there's, there's a type of meeting, a church meeting, where it's small enough that everybody comes with something to contribute. Nobody is a spectator. Everybody contributes. And then there's another level up, which is kind of like this, uh, anywhere from 50 to 500 people, where it's slightly different again. Obviously, not everyone can contribute. And um, it's, there is some contribution from everyone, but it's more of one or two people just leading and guiding and bringing um, instruction and, and leading the worship. And then there's the very big, like a festival or a, you know, a conference, thousands of people. How, how many have been to a conference with more than a thousand people in? Can you just put your hand up? There's something different there. There's something special. There's, there's a, a really powerful anointing where a lot of people get together and God is doing something really significant. And obviously, hardly anyone... <clears throat> really shares and contributes. Everybody sings, but it's very, very few people who actually speak out for everybody else to hear. And I'm believing then for another level up, which is going to be hundreds of thousands of Christians meeting, where we get you know the huge sports stadiums, the Olympic stadiums, hundreds of thousands of people, and we meet together and we worship the Lord. I think it's going to come. I think we're going to see it in the next five or ten years where big stadiums around the world have Christian meetings. And the rest of the world, the non-Christian world, has to sit up and take notice. And it gets reported in newspapers. Whoa, there's something going on. But what I'm trying to say is that there's different levels. And we would be silly to try and think that they're all the same. The little group of two or three people and the group of two or three hundred thousand people, there's differences. And the way that we at Lighthouse have tried to um, do things correctly and biblically and enable everybody to use their gifts and grow as Christians is we've said that life groups are small church meetings in people's homes in the middle of the week, five, ten people, one of the groups has got 25 at the moment, so we need to do something about that. But they're small groups where everybody contributes, and it's a family thing. It's not a, an audience and a person speaking. It's everybody sharing. There's a leader who guides and, and looks after and pastors the group, but basically everybody shares. But then in this meeting, we've looked in the New Testament and we said, what is this meeting like? And there are several examples in the New Testament. In the the city of Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, it says Paul gathered the believers together in a place called the School Hall of Tyrannus. So he rented a school. And there was probably room for 100 people, maybe two, 300 people. And he lectured them every day. There was probably some worship, but not everybody contributed. And then it says that they had churches in people's homes. So he writes about the, poor, the um, Priscilla and Aquila have a church in their house. Uh, Phoebe has a church in her house. 
Um, all these different people have churches in their homes. So there were hundreds of churches in people's homes in Ephesus, and then there were meetings when everybody got together, and pretty much Paul was saying, this is God's direction for us as a church city. This is where we're going. And we've said, this meeting is like that. This is not a tiny little church meeting where everybody contributes. This is a gathering where we get direction and empowering and moving forward. And then we go out and we go into our little group meetings and we all contribute. What that means is that on a Sunday morning, not everybody can lead worship. Not everybody can preach. I know there's probably five or ten people in this room today who could probably preach better than me. Well done. It's great. Start a church. <laughs> Let's get this thing expanding and multiplying. But I'm the one who preaches on a Sunday because that's what God's called me to do. And I'm leading this church in that direction. However, what we love is the contribution of worship and the contribution of prophetic words and open prayer. I don't know if you've experienced it, but there's, there's a couple of things I want to highlight. Sometimes at the end of worship... The musicians will just change the way they're playing, and it's no longer playing the chords of the song we've just sung. They're just playing maybe in one key or maybe two keys. And they, they're just playing gently, and people just around the room just start singing their own tune to the Lord. Have you, have you experienced that? It's a beautiful thing. I call it singing in the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, So I will pray with my mind, I will pray with the Spirit. I will sing with my mind, I will sing with the Spirit. He talks about singing in the Spirit, which is where we just sing a song that's not the same tune as the person next to me or the person at the front. Everybody is just singing. To, they're lost in worship to the Lord. And we all just start singing. Some are singing in tongues. Some are singing in English. And because we come from so many different nations around the world here, some are singing in Tagalog and some are singing in other things. And that's fine because it's not a performance. It's my heart just singing to the Lord. And it just harmonizes. It's the most beautiful thing. Suddenly you just feel like... The Holy Spirit is orchestrating the worship. Don't be scared of that. If you're a visitor and you just hear everybody singing, just enjoy it. Just listen to the beauty of the music. Listen to the sound and just start singing a new song to the Lord. Just, just sing whatever comes to your heart. Sing in whatever language you want, but just sing a tune, a melody to the Lord. And I would encourage you to do that. I want us to have that more and more on our Sundays. The other thing is that often there's a lull in the worship where it's quiet Feel free to pray a prayer out loud. That's great. We'd love that. Lord, would you help the people who are in the wherever who've had a typhoon? Or Lord, would you break through in Jersey? Or Lord, would you do whatever? Just Or praise, Lord, thank you. Where we just speak out a short prayer to the Lord. Awesome. Lovey. Lovely. <laughs> the other thing is a prophecy. And a prophecy is not a pre-prepared preach. Or a testimony. That's not a prophecy. A prophecy is where you came to church with no idea that the Lord was going to give you anything to say. And during the worship, you get a picture, or you get a sense, or you get a word, and you think, the Lord is saying, I love you, my people. You're like a bride. Or whatever it is. I see a picture of a river. It's a short little word, often no more than a few sentences. Or sometimes it's a tongue, and someone else will interpret it like it's a prophecy. But it's short. It's hardly ever more than a minute long. But it's powerful. 
And it's something we can do in this setting, which you can't do in the hundreds of thousands setting. And it's not really, you can do it in the tiny house group setting, but there's something powerful when there's a prophetic word in this setting. So we want that. Please feel free. Pray out loud. Share a prophecy. Share a tongue. Lovely. He does say, though, that let's have two or three. If we have too many, then it becomes too much in a service. So in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, control it a little bit. It's completely fine. He says, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. We control. And we say, yes, we're going to have three or five or whatever it is, and we're just going to do it this way, right? You can have a turn. Yours is next week. If you have a sermon you want to preach, let me know. I might say yes or I might not. If you have a testimony, let me know. That would be great. We'll try and fit it in, or we might have a special testimony service. But in this time, it's a, we're just using this environment to the max we can to have worship led by a small group of people. We're all the worship team, by the way. <laughs> all of us are worshiping the Lord. Just because we're up, some are up front and some aren't, the Lord just sees us worshiping. So worship the Lord as if you're on stage before God. Worship Him. Only a few will share a teach or a preach. But please feel free to sing out, to pray out, to prophesy, and then get involved in a life group. And let's keep praying for the bigger meetings. Amen. I'd just like to share a little bit about what we're doing as a church. Um, The project, as we call it, the project. Because we shared about it a, a couple of months ago. And we made it a bit of a private share, which meant it was only for people who were here at the time. So some people may not have heard about it, and I'd like to just share about it. We are trying to obey the Great Commission, which says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. And the way we're doing that is we're using technology... At the moment, we record our sermons as podcasts, which means they're on the internet and anyone in the world can download them and listen to them. And amazingly, we have hundreds of people listening to them every month from all over the world. Somebody in Canada has logged into our website and listened to our our podcasts about eight times in the last two days. I don't know who they are. I know they're in Toronto. I don't know anything more about them. There's um, some pastors in Cape Town who listen to our podcast. I don't know why. There's some people in Oregon, America, who listen. I don't know why. There's people in China who are downloading our podcasts. Who knows why? There's people all over the world who are downloading. And what the Lord has given us the opportunity to do is to set up a website where, let's just imagine there's somebody who gets saved in Saudi Arabia. They're not in a church And we say to them, we will help you. We here, Lighthouse Jersey, this congregation will help you, Ahmed in Saudi Arabia, to plant a church in your home. All you have to do is gather together a few people in your house on a Sunday. We will stream a sermon in and we will give you the tools and the support and the help that you need to pastor those people, to lead worship. We'll give you teaching tools. We'll give you resources, everything that's required so that you can grow that into a church, hopefully into a big church. Or maybe it'll remain as a house church. And when there's two or three house churches in an area, we can put them together and make them into a church. And eventually that becomes a church that stands on its own, on its own two feet, and is an independent church that is growing for the Lord. We are able to do that. 
the technology and the resources and everything we need and the opportunities have been presented to us where we can very soon, we've started designing the website and uh, ordering equipment. We're going to get some cameras set up, uh, one camera here on a Sunday, and we're going to have a, a little recording place during the week where we record resources for people. We're going to set up and start trying to get little churches going around the world. I have a amazing excitement about it. I believe that thousands of churches are going to grow up out of this. I really do. It's amazing. <clears throat> and what is awesome um, is that it's, it's going to be all of us involved. And I really am so grateful to every single one of you in this church because you guys have been so supportive. The prayer that goes on, I don't know if you realize how many people are praying in this church. There's people who meet on different nights of the week in different locations and pray and fast. There's people whose ministry is to pray at all hours of the night. And I, I'm so grateful for those people. There's people who give. You know, a person who gives a pound or a, a person who gives 20,000 pounds, each one of those is so vital and wonderfully beautiful to the Lord. And I'm so grateful to those people who've given and who faithfully give. Again and again, because we're going to use, I promise you, we will use every penny that you give to extend the kingdom of God and to grow churches around the world. There's people with gifts here of administration, um, worship, teaching, people who can teach others to, to be pastors. There's so many gifts and willing people in this church, and we're going to use us as a little group of believers, we're going to impact the world. And there's going to be thousands of churches set up as a result because of you because of what you guys are doing, and because of your faithfulness. And I just want to say thank you. It's absolutely fantastic what you're doing. Um, we're kicking it up into the next gear. We have engaged a company to set up the website. Within the next three to four months, that'll be up and running. Um, and we will be recording videos to put on there, which is great. I'm going to go uh, full-time, paid by the church in April. James and Heidi are already full-time paid by the church. Dion is volunteering to help with this project, and Tony's volunteered to help a little bit of time a week, and there's others who have as well. So it's going up a notch, and it's fantastic. Um, and thank you, everybody, for your involvement. We're going to need money, but the Lord will provide, and, and it's going to come in as the time goes along. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for what you're doing. God, I have such a sense that it's your river, and we are just lucky enough to jump into your river, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we're carried along by your passion, your zeal for the nations, Lord. We thank you that you love the peoples of the world, and we thank you that we can love them as well with your heart, that we can be part of what you're doing, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. We've been doing a series about the life of Jesus, letting people see Jesus. And today is a wonderful story. Um, I'm going to read out of John chapter 4. This is still in the first year of Jesus' three years of ministry. You know, often we read the Bible stories about Jesus and we don't know where does the story fit in. Was that at the beginning, in the middle, at the end? What, you know, it's just a jumble of stories. And so I'm trying to work through 
chronologically through the life of Jesus so we can see how his life developed and we can copy him and we can be part of what he's doing. And this is in his first year of ministry. Remember, he started his miracles last week. We talked about his first miracle in Galilee. After that, he went up to Judea, uh, Jerusalem, and he did amazing things there. And he was getting such a following of people that he thought, whoa, I better cool this down because it's going to heat up to the point where I get killed before I've had a chance to do all my ministry. So Jesus pulled out of Jerusalem and he went back to Galilee, which was a little rural area, to do some ministry there for a while. And on the way, he went through a place called Samaria. And we're going to read that story now. But Jesus, still in the first year, he didn't want to hurry things up too much. He w- the crowds were getting ready to say, you're the Messiah. And he knew that once they said that, the Romans were going to kill him. And so he thought, whoa, I better calm down a little bit here. And that's why he said to people, don't tell everyone else that I'm the Messiah. It wasn't that he didn't want others to know. It was that he wanted to finish the duties and all the things that God had given him to do in the right timing and not cut it short before the end. So, John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John... Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea, departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Samaria was a place that was not part of Israel. The people there were half Jews and half other races, and so it wasn't the the Jewish people there, and yet he still went. He showed that he was going to the whole world, to different races, not just the Jews. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So the story here is Jesus is walking, it's hot, it's 12 o'clock midday, and Jesus finds a well, and he sits there because he's tired and hot and thirsty, and his disciples go into the city of Samaria to buy some food, and Jesus is left there all alone. And verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, You've well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. You spoke truly. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, will, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we, what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. <clears throat> I love this story. I love it because Jesus had crowds of people in Jerusalem clamoring for him and saying, Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. He could have stayed with the crowds, but he went to a dry, dusty place to meet one lady who most of us would think was an immoral woman who'd had so many husbands and she just was living with whichever man would take her. And he, he saw it as important enough to spend time with her. Isn't that beautiful? One lady was important enough. And her story was so important that it's recorded in the Bible. You know, at the end of the book of John, John says, if all the things that Jesus did were written, there wouldn't be enough room in the world for all the books. But he chose this story to record because it's important. It's beautiful. The way that Jesus cares about an individual person is beautiful. There's so many lessons in the story, but I just want to draw out one or two of them. The first is that without Jesus, you will need a drug. That's my first lesson today. Without Jesus, you will need a drug. What do I mean by that? You know, in the news this last week, there's been the story of a famous actor who everyone thought was a wonderful man who had his life together, and he was found dead in his bathroom with a heroin needle in his arm, died of an overdose. He needed a drug. The story of the Bible, the story of Christianity, is that each one of us has a need in us because God made us to be in connection with him, to be in relationship with him. There's this hole, this vacuum in the middle of us that has to be filled in a relationship with God. And if it's not there, we are desperate for something to fill that void. There's a verse in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, where God says, My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have dug their own cisterns that cannot really hold water. There's this picture in the Bible that God is the one who can satisfy and bring you the water that you need. Water is a picture of this thirst that we have, every single one of us. A thirst for reality, for relationship, for forgiveness, for acceptance, for connection with God. We must have it. We know we need it. And if we don't have it, we will find a drug to try and fill that void. This lady's drug was relationships. She married a man. He called her beautiful. He seemed to have what she needed. He'd provide her needs. He'd look after her. He'd talk to her. He'd love her. 
She got divorced. It didn't work out. She found another one. Oh, it didn't work out. She found a third, a fourth, a fifth. Eventually, she would just live with whatever man who would have her. Her self-esteem was gone. She would take whatever to try and fill this void, this thirst, this need for water, for living water from God. And every single one of us is the same. You see, the thing is, most of us find a respectable drug. Most of us won't go as far down as this lady did. We'll find a drug called um, career or money. Some of us, it'll be alcohol. Some of us, it'll be different things. Social status. I want everybody to think I'm, I'm great and important. Some people will throw their lives into their families because they're trying to fill this void that only God can fill. And they'll just invest themselves in their family and their kids and then the families leave home and they're left, whoa, what's, what's my life all about? Every one of us, without Jesus, will find a drug. What's your drug? What's your drug? The other thing about the drug is that it can numb us. Even though it's bad for us, even though it's keeping us from this wonderful fountain of living water that Jesus offers, it numbs us and it provides partial satisfaction so that many thousands, most people on planet earth will never find the true relationship with God that will really satisfy because they've got a temporary fix from something that only partially satisfies. Let's just stop for a sec and think. Lord, am I satisfied in you? (laughs) Lord, am I satisfied in you? Am I thirsty? And have I tried to fill that thirst with a system that I've dug myself? Or have I found the connection with you that I really need? Only you can answer that today. But you must answer it. Because the alternative is we die of an overdose of a drug that does not give us real life. Amen. My second point is that Jesus asks us questions. How does Jesus show us our need? You know, we live in a modern world where a lot of the time it's the most forceful and bossy person who gets their way. But Jesus is not like that. Instead of coming to you with a big stick and saying, you naughty child, you shouldn't be marrying five different men. Naughty, naughty. He says, Give me a drink. Give me a drink. He comes to us with a question. He doesn't tell us what to do. You see, many people have a wrong idea of God that he's a bossy lawgiver with a stick waiting to punish you if you don't do what he says. Meanwhile, the Bible shows him as a loving God stretching out his arms saying, I love you and asking you questions. He says, give me a drink. Did he? Why did he say, give me a drink? Because he wanted to show her that she needed something. She was thirsty. Then he says, where's your husband? Why did he ask her that question? He already knew the answer. 
He knew that she'd had lots of men. He didn't need information when he said, where's your husband? He was asking her a question so that she would see her need. God asks you questions. He doesn't boss you around. God will not force you to be a Christian. God will not force you to go to church, give your money, obey him, live a righteous life, be in relationship with him. Even though he loves you so much and he wants so much to help you and heal you, he asks you the question so that you will realize your need and come to him. That's the way God works. I just think of a few questions in the Bible. The very first question in the Bible, God comes into the Garden of Eden. He says to Adam, where are you? Is that because he didn't know where Adam was? No. He wanted Adam to start thinking, where am I? (laughs) Do you see that? Friends, where are you? Then God says, who told you you were naked? That's the very next question in the Bible. Who told you? Why did he ask that? He wanted them to think about, who told me this thing that I've believed? It's the same question God's asking you and me today. Who told you? Why do you think that? Why do you think that money is the most important thing in the world? Who told you? God comes to Hagar. Remember the the slave girl who was carrying Abraham's first child, Ishmael. He says, where are you? Where are you going? Again, God asks that question to you and me. Where are you? Where are you going? What's going on? Not because he doesn't know. He wants you to think. Jesus asked the question, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Why does he ask that question? Because he wants us to look at our lives and say, Where am I? Who told me? Where am I going? What will it profit me? What is the end result of this road that I'm on? And then when he's asked us the question, he wants us to come back to him and say, Lord, Jesus said, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would have asked me for living water. The whole purpose of God is to get us to the place where we say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Ian and Angela had a powerful experience yesterday where the Lord just showed them what it is to be hungry and thirsty for him. And at the end of the service, I'm going to ask them to pray for anyone who wants prayer today. For a hunger and a thirst. You know, we all have a need for God, but it's only those who realize their need who get their need met. God won't force you to be a Christian. You've got to come and say, God, I need you. And then he says, yes, I'll pour out living water on you. Isn't that wonderful? That's the way God works. You know, questions are not bad. Sometimes we think, sometimes Christians think, I mustn't question. I must just listen and obey and and blindly accept. No, no, questions are from God. (laughs) Questions are from the Lord. Don't stop the questions. Ask them and answer them honestly. That's the result. That's the result God wants. Not no questions. He wants you to question. He wants you to look at the world and say, how did this come to be? How did all of this happen? Okay, so the scientists say there was a big bang and this and that and this happened. and this. But what really, is that really the truth? And not just stop at what one person says to you, but 
push in and say, what is the answer? I watched a little YouTube clip yesterday called, How Did the World Get Its Water? By a science channel called One Minute Physics, I think. How did the world get its water? They said it can't have been here at the beginning. The sun was too hot and the solar wind would have blown all the water away. The earth should be completely bone dry. How did the world get its water? Maybe it came from ice comets. Oh no, but it can't have because their water has got too many deuteronium, pollen, whatever things in it. Can't be that. So how did the world get its water? At the end they said, well, a few comets must have come and just landed on earth and made all the water that's in all the oceans. And I read the comments underneath by non-Christian people. And they said, you've got to have more faith than a religious person to believe what you've just said. (laughs) Questioning is not bad. Questioning is good. But honestly work through the questions with the right heart attitude that says, what is the real truth behind this? Not just what does brother so-and-so or doctor so-and-so say. What do I really think? is the answer to this. Because the Bible says, when you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. If you seek honestly. You know the the wise men who came to Jesus? They were called magi, where we get our word magic from. They were Eastern mystics who worshipped the stars and the spirits. They weren't Christians, they weren't Jews, they had no background of God, but they were honestly, earnestly seeking the truth. They found Jesus. God used a star. They worshipped stars. God used a star to lead them to him. If you are honestly seeking the Lord, honestly, with a real heart that says, God, I really want the truth. I really want you. I want to know the truth. You'll find him. No matter what place in the world you're born, no matter what religious background you're from, if you seek him, you will find him. Amen? So Jesus says, living water I'll give you. I'll give you living water if you're thirsty. And this lady, her life is transformed. In one little meeting with Jesus that lasted, I don't know, half an hour, her life has turned around. She realizes he loves me. He forgives me. He accepts me. He can fill me with this need that I've had been trying to fill with all these other things. He can provide what I need. And her life has changed. Living water that'll satisfy deep down inside. She goes back to the city. She tells everybody. They come out and it says Jesus spent two days in that little place in Samaria and the whole city believed. Amazing. Her life was transformed and she transformed others' lives as a result. When you get your need met by Jesus, you, won't, you can't help but witness. <laughs> it just comes out of you. People will see it and ask, what's going on with you? And this living water will flow out of you. We had a lady on the last Alpha course who came. And she um, was not a believer. She had no Christian background. We said, why are you here? She says, because one of my fellow employees is a Christian. And there's something just coming out of her. There's joy in life. I want to know what it is. Amazing, isn't it? That's real witnessing. It's not, oh, I've learned the five points and I know the seven scriptures and I know the little sayings that I have to say. No, no, it just comes out of you. It's wonderful. There's a very interesting little 
postscript to this. <clears throat> the city believed, but it says later on in John chapter 7, Jesus said, he stands up in Jerusalem, he says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. He who believes in me, out of his inner being will flow rivers of living water. And then it says, by this he meant the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given. That's a very strange little verse. Jesus says, come if you're thirsty. Oh, but the Holy Spirit's not been given yet. <laughs> Do you see that? Come if you're thirsty. Come, come drink. Oh, but you won't get him until in a couple of years' time when Pentecost happens. Isn't that interesting? They had to wait till Pentecost. Anyway, in the book of Acts, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit is poured out. The disciples are filled with the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria and he goes to this village. And they all believe in Jesus because they'd seen Jesus when he'd come to the woman at the well. And then um, Peter and John go down and they lay hands on them. And it says, when they laid hands on them, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. They got it. But in the meantime, they, there was this waiting period because of the way that the, the timing had to wait, wait for Jesus to be crucified and then the Holy Spirit to be poured out. You and I don't have to wait. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. And that relationship with the Holy Spirit is better than a relationship with the living physical Jesus. You say, Greg, are you sure? Yes, Jesus said, it is good for you that I go away. Because if I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit. Another counselor, the same as me. Jesus was saying, when I go, you see, if, if Jesus is here in the flesh, he can only talk to a couple of people at a time. The Holy Spirit can fill thousands of us with that deep inner peace that's as if we're having a relationship with the real Jesus. And it doesn't depend on one physical Jesus. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're hungry today, I just want to encourage you, come up for prayer after the service. I'm going to, I hope it's okay, Ian and Angela, do you mind praying for people today? Is that all right? There's other prayer ministers who will pray up here as well, but just go to Ian and Angela today. They, something happened to them yesterday. that they, They're just going to lay hands on people. I'm going to go up for prayer. And we're just going to ask the Lord to fill us again with this living water. It's available. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait two years for Pentecost and Peter and, and John to come. We can find it today. But only if you're thirsty. Right, it's time for me to close this. I've got lots that I could say, but I think I've said enough. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way that you touched a sinful woman and you met her need and you changed her life. And Lord, I pray for myself today. Lord, I am also a sinful man. Lord, I may not have married many people, but I've had my own drugs. And Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your living water that once I drink it, I will never thirst again. Lord, I need that deep relationship with you, that acceptance, that peace, that forgiveness, that life, that joy. I need it, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters today, Lord, that each of us would be humble enough 
to be like that woman who just says, yes, give me this water. Give me what I need. I'm thirsty today. Friends, can I ask you, just to, in the next few moments, just to examine your heart. Say, where am I? Where am I with this issue? Have I got this deep craving need that I'm trying to fill with relationships, with substances, with work, with fame, with something else, when I should be just filling it with Jesus? What is, what is my drug? And then I'm going to ask you today to be bold and humble enough to say, Lord, I need, I need your Holy Spirit. I need you, Lord. I need your living water. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Friends, forget about the people around you. Forget about the person next to you. Just imagine you're sitting at a well with Jesus. He looks at you with eyes of love, acceptance, understanding. The only person really who understands you. Says, I love you, my child. You might have used different drugs, but I still love you. I forgive you. I can fill you with peace. Will you come to me today? Will you ask me to fill you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that it's not about religion. It's not about man-made rules and traditions. It's about a real relationship with you, Lord. Reality. Thank you, Lord, that you said if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Anyone. Thank you, Lord, that you said... If we ask our Father in heaven, He will give us the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.